and invite you to please stand for the reading of the gospel. Hear the holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Mark. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he got a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, give us open hearts and minds to really receive what you have to say to us, to let it enter in and and change how we think, how we live, how we relate to others, how we serve you. In the name of Jesus, amen. Please be seated. We had a lot of snow, especially if you're from Texas. We had a lot of snow. It's, and we had more, more snow than we had like 20 years of living in Texas, all combined. It's a lot of snow. And one of the things we had not really thought about until the moment is the snow in our backyard was a good 12 to 18 inches deep. And we have dogs that have to go to the bathroom in the backyard. And one of those dogs is only about 12 inches tall. So when we first opened the door, we have a little kind of a dog run area for them, and we opened up the door, and I thought, they're not going to be able to even, especially the little one, he's going to get lost. He's white, too. He doesn't go out there like, the dog is gone. And so we're like, what do we do? So I snow plowed about a seven by seven square up toward the front, so the dogs could go out there, go to the bathroom, and then come back in. And The first time the dogs go out there, the little one goes out and kind of goes to that area and wanders around a little bit and then leaps into the snow and goes right down where he's used to going to the bathroom. And he just face plants in and almost disappears completely and he's swimming through the snow to get to that normal spot. I make a new way for him, a better way. And he's like, no, I'm going to the old way. Um, during Epiphany, one of our primary things is to learn about Christ. And today, in the reading in Mark's Gospel, there is a new way. Jesus firmly believes, and I, I just I want you to think about this as what he thinks, what he believes, that he has come to bring a new way, to bring something different. Um, He firmly believes he's 
bringing it into existence. Like he is showing it to the people. You can't follow him without recognizing that he believes he's ushering in something new. What is that? Open up your Bible, if you would, to Mark chapter 1. If you want to use one of the Pew Bibles, it's page 1424. And what we want to see is, what is he bringing in? How do people respond? What does that mean for us, this new way? Mark chapter 1, we're starting in verse 14. Begins this way, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. Um, This is an important initial point. After John, Jesus is very intentional. Mark highlights this about when he comes into the fullness of his ministry. Because John represents what the old was. You can think Old Covenants. You can think the old way of doing something. He was representing that. He was the greatest and the last of them. And Jesus waits until he's off the scene. And then he comes in. Because it has to be after John that he brings what he will bring. And I'm going to make a little side note here because part of what we're doing is learning about Jesus. So this is not a huge part of my message, but it's something significant that comes out here. I want you to know this about Jesus. He is intentional. He is thoughtful. He is organized. He is smart. Right? He intentionally, 30 years he's waiting. But it's not until this happens that he begins the fullness of his ministry. And that kind of organization, that kind of thoughtfulness, that kind of intentionality, you see it all over his ministry. And I'm going to point out just a couple little things real quickly. Just in Mark's gospel, jump over to verse 35 of the same chapter. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary solitary place where he prayed. He got up early, went to a solitary place for the intention of praying. And then when his companions come and they say, everybody's looking for you. His response, let us go somewhere else to a nearby village so I can preach there also. That is why I've come. It's very intentional. I know there are crowds waiting for me, but that's not why I'm here. I'm on task. Let's keep going. See similar kinds of things. Turn the page. We're going to look at verse chapter 2, where some friends of a a paralyzed man bring him to Jesus, and he heals, and he says, says to the man, your sins are forgiven. And when he says that, the religious leaders are thinking, nobody can forgive God's sins but God alone. Here's Jesus' response. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and take your mat and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. 
That is like an amazing way of handling that particular circumstance. He knows exactly what to do in that moment. You think this is hard? Wait a minute. Let me show you something. I want you to understand something about the Son of Man. And he sends him out. Stand up. And it just keeps going on and on. There's all these ways when they come to him and they're like, why is your master eating with sinners? He has a very specific reason. Because it's the healthy who need a doctor. I've come for those who I'm eating with. Because he knows exactly what his mission is. At one point on the Sabbath, when his disciples eat the ears of corn or the grain, and they're like, why is he doing that? Jesus not only explains why they break the traditions, but he uses the Old Testament. Then he comes down and he says, do you not understand? It's not the Sabbath made for man. It's, I mean, it's not man made for the Sabbath. It's Sabbath made for man. Hey, here's what I want you to get. He is really smart. And he is really thoughtful. Like, he is not running by the seat of his pants He's not acting willy-nilly over things like, oh, no, I didn't think about that. Wow. That's Jesus. All right, back to the message. His proclamation, Mark chapter 1, back in verse 14, Jesus goes into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. And here it is. This is the good news of God as Jesus is proclaiming it. And you need to know that this is a summary statement in all of the Gospels about what Jesus seems to be doing at the beginning of his ministry as he goes from synagogue to synagogue, preaching to people. Here's his message. The time has come. This is big. You've all been waiting for something. It's here. The time has come. He's not just out there making some simple little Bible study message. Like, something gigantic is taking place, and I'm ushering it in. The time has come. The time for what? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And I want to mention two things about his proclamation. That word good news. You have at some point heard the word gospel. That's what that word is. The Greek term is gospel, translated as good news. When we hear that, I'm going to tell you from my evangelical Bible church background, this is what I would have heard. And some of you might have heard the same thing. The gospel message is this. I'm a sinner. I have missed the mark. I've fallen short of God. Because of that, I am separated from God and I'm dead in my sins. However... In the grace of God, he sent his son. And if I will believe in him, I will be saved and go to heaven to live forever with God. And that would have been the gospel. Anyone relate to that? What's fascinating to me is none of that is in this gospel proclamation. And what's lacking in the gospel that I grew up with is even mention of kingdom. And it's the primary thing in his. Do you know what the good news is? And by the way, now let's step back. What would they have heard? Gospel was a term that would refer especially to somebody returning from victory. Uh, uh, Somebody who was 
taken their, their, their warriors off and they've had a victorious battle and they're coming back because they've saved their city. That was the good news. When Caesar was born, there was a gospel because he would save the people. This is what they are hearing. Something about a victor and salvation and rescue and all this stuff. And Jesus ties it directly to this. The kingdom of God has come near. That is the good news. That the kingdom of God, is, it's here. I'm bringing it. Now, what is the kingdom? Right now, it is not a geogra- geographic thing. It's not God in a castle, and he's got his knights, and there's this perimeter, and he sets it up. Jesus, when he is being challenged in casting out demons, he says, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God is here. I think the best way of describing the kingdom is God's power present to bring about God's plan to redeem things. God's plan to bring about shalom, wholeness, peace, salvation, all of it. And Jesus says and then shows through his ministry, when he casts out a demon, he is not only casting a demon and helping a person, he's overcoming darkness because the kingdom of God is here. And the power of God is to restore. When he heals somebody of a physical ailment, the same thing is happening. The kingdom of God is God's power, present, and especially here through Christ, to bring about God's plan of shalom and peace and wholeness and righteousness. And that kingdom's here. That's what Jesus says. And that's why there is good news. Because you've been waiting for Yahweh to come. He's coming now in me. The good news. Um, back when I lived in Texas, I used to drive my kids to school. And on this street that we went through, there were two separate school zones to get to their school. So you had to drive through one school zone, there was a break, there's another school zone, and then you finally get to their school. And almost every day, I would see this. Because as I'm getting close to the school zone, they happen at, the, in Texas, school zones actually have time. Um, unlike the one at my daughter's school where it's like all the time, it's 25 miles an hour. It wasn't like that. There was just periods of time when kids were going to school and leaving school that that was the time zone for the school zone. Well, as, you're, as I'm approaching one of them, it's the time for it to start. And you know what people start doing? Slowing down but not to the school zone speed limits, just like it's 45 and then it's 25 in the school zone, so they go to 35. And, and, and I think it is like, well, we're not sure. Is it starting? It might be starting. We're almost there. And, and I would think to myself, you know you're still speeding. Like, if you're going through there and the school zone has started, you're still going to get a ticket. The cop is not going to go, well, I know you were trying hard. Like, and here's what I thought. You're not actually getting the benefit of either thing. You're not slowing down 
for the sake of being able to pay more attention to kids and be more aware, you're still going way over that speed limit. But you're also not going 45 and getting somewhere as fast as you could. You're like in between. That's what I feel like is true of the Christian life often. There's like one foot in the kingdom of God and one foot in the kingdom of me. And I'm not fully getting the benefit of either one. It's like here's God's power and his plan. Here's my plan and my power. And I keep straddling it. Like I'm just... And I'm not getting the full benefit of either one of them. God's power or heck, let's just forget this whole Christian thing and go live my life and like do all the things I want. No, I'm, I'm like in between. How do we get out of that? That's what he says right here. You want out? The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Two things, repent and believe. And I think that is the way we pull our foot out of the kingdom of me and get fully into the kingdom of God. Repent and believe. And I'm going to briefly define those, but then we're going to get a little picture here. Because what happens with the next disciples, you are seeing repent and believe. Right? Repent is to turn from one thing to another. Most often in Scripture, of course, when we talk about repentance, it is I'm going my way, now I'm going to turn to God's way. I'm sinning, I'm turning away from my sin, and I'm turning to the righteousness of God. But there's a turning involved. That's repentance. Repentance is not, I'm so sorry, I'm awful, I'm crying, I hate myself, that's awful, blah, blah, blah. Which is what some of us do when we do really bad things. Repentance can involve, of course, heartfelt, I'm really sorry I did that. But it also is a turning to God. Belief, most often I think we tend to think intellectual assent. Here are some things, I believe those things. Belief here would be better translated as trust. It is turning from one thing to God, and it's turning from what I trust here to trusting him and his kingdom and his power and everything that he is doing in Christ. Repent and believe. What does that look like? Let's read. Here's what it looks like. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into a lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. Here's the first thing it looks like. It is more than listening. This is not the first time he's encountered these disciples. What we would have had last week if I hadn't not had church is John chapter 1. And we would have seen a scene where these guys, like, they have sat with him. They follow him back. They've heard his teaching. They've been listening to him. They know his teaching. That is not enough. To repent and believe or to repent, to turn into trust requires more than just listening. What I think is so fascinating about this is even though Jesus sat with these guys and taught him, he then comes to them and says, now, if you want to repent and believe, come follow. Not just listen, follow. And I think it is absolutely something to be said to all of us because I know most of us have been sitting in church for a really long time and we are here because we want to follow Jesus. Well, Jesus says you need to follow. It's not enough just to listen, but to follow. And I think it's really important. Um, So the reason we didn't have church last week 
is because the forecast called for wind chills of as low as negative 40. Negative 40 means within 10 minutes of skin exposure, you are damaging your skin. Like, it is, it is really bad. Um, you can't breathe in it. Like, it is, like, awful. Um, and can you show the next slide? This is my iPhone. This is 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. Negative 15. But the big number is not the one you should look at. Negative 39. <laughs> That's the number you should be paying attention to. Because even though it may only be 15, when the wind is blowing against your skin and it is blowing the coolness away, your skin is experiencing it at 39 degrees. That's the one you want to pay attention to. That little number, I would argue, is very much like what it means to actually follow. You see, the big number is really easy to see. Sitting in church is really easy. Listening to Scripture, listening to Bible studies, those things are really easy to do. But they don't amount to a whole lot if you aren't following. Follow me, is what he says. We need the little number, <laughs> the following number. So number one is to follow. Go ahead. and. Number two, um, what they do here is fascinating. Come follow me and I will send you out to, to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. Um, it also means this, and this would have been absolutely true for them. They grew up probably most of their life being trained to be fishermen. The family business. They were going to take over. This is what they know. This is where they have security, finances, reputation. This is the thing when they go to the pub after work and they talk about what fish they caught and how they're cooler than the other guy because they caught more fish. I mean, it is everything. What do they do? They drop their nets and leave the boat behind. The next two guys are going to do the same thing except specifically they walk away from their father, the family business. Right? Part of come and follow is switch your trust from all the things you are trusting to God. They would have trusted the number of fish they could have gotten, getting out in that boat, all the things they know. It's the question of where's your security at? Where's your self-esteem at? Where's your confidence at? Where do you turn when things are going bad? What's the thing you try to put trust in? Repentance is turning from that to God. That everything gets moved to him. And that's where all my trust is. And then lastly, I'm going to jump back to verse 17. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. What a fascinating way of saying it. And, and, and here's what I think ends up happening. And you see this in multiple places in Scripture. If you want to know what it means to follow, to trust him, to believe, to repent, all these things, will you let God use your vocation, your school, your talents, your hobbies for the kingdom of God? Will you turn that over to him? Here is Jesus speaking in their language. Like, I want to take the skills you have, and I want you to use them for the kingdom. I'm going to take the things you know, and I want you to use those for me. That is following. That is coming to him. 
That's trusting him. Um, in 2016, Aaron and I watched a lot of the Olympics. And one of the things that happened that particular year was in the 5,000-meter women's race. It became a very famous moment in those Olympics. Here's what took place. With about 1,800 meters left in this qualifier, this is a semi-qualifier, it's going on to the finals. With about 1,800 meters left, a runner, Nikki Hamblin, slips and falls. Now, kind of next and just behind her is Abby Agostino. She hits and also falls. Both women go down on the track. Now, you can imagine how much work, effort, everything else it puts in to being an Olympic runner. What kind of time and training and to get to that point? And then you fall. Well, Abby's coach had told her, if you fall, you immediately pop your head up, you make sure it's safe, you find the pack, you get up and you go. You can watch the video of this still today. Abby stands up and immediately looks to Nikki and reaches down to her. And she says, get up, get up. We have to finish. And helps Nikki up to her feet. And then both girls take off together. Now, Nikki was actually far more, I'm sorry, Abby was actually far more hurt than Nikki was. She tore her ACL. So the two women go on a little bit, and then the one who helped the other one up falls. And so Nikki turns back to Abby, and she's like trying to help her, and, and Abby waves her on. Finish the race. Finish the race. And Abby gets up, and she runs kind of a mile with a torn ACL to make it to the end. And the two women embrace at the finish line. They have never met each other before this point. Now, you can imagine what a great moment that was, and everyone picked up on it. And I want to read a few things. This is what UPI wrote about it. What Abby Agostino did Tuesday during the women's 5,000-meter event required something more than muscle or skill. It required one of the best characteristics available to humans, compassion. USA Today called the incident an extraordinary gesture to the warm hearts of a global audience and spoke to everything that is good and righteous about international sports' grandest competition. Nikki, who got helped up by Abby, said this about her. That girl is the Olympic spirit. I've never met her before. And it isn't, just so, isn't it so amazing, just such an amazing woman. But I want to read to you what Abby said about that moment. Although my actions were instinctual at the moment, the only way I can and have rationalized it is that God prepared my heart to respond that way. This whole time, he's made it clear to me that my experience in Rio was going to be about more than my race performance. And as soon as Nikki got up, I knew that was it. The Olympics were about more than the Olympics but about what God wanted to do through her. Later on, um, she was going to be honored at a presidential meal, but she had to have surgery. She was still recovering from surgery, so they still honored her. And Obama said some things 
concerning about how wonderful she was, and she said this, how humbling to be associated not only with Olympic, but with American values. I remain amazed and grateful for how God has used me in bringing his character into the public eye. Will you use your vocation? Use your hobbies. Use your school. Use the things you love to do as a way of showing the world God. That's what he was asking for. That's following. That's giving it all over. That's jumping two feet into the kingdom of God and saying, I'm not straddling anymore. I'm going to follow. Repent and believe the good news. That's what he was about. It's amazing when you preach this stuff over and over and over and over again, year after year, and yet you prepare something and you're like, yep, I still need that. (laughs) But I think today we have this vision of God's power working in our life, God wanting to bring about in our life peace and joy. There was this one quote I didn't read by her where Abby says, before every race, I admit my fears to God. I'm afraid to do this. I give it over to him. And in doing so, I find peace. But here it is. Repent and believe. Turn and trust him. Turn away from whatever you're trusting now back to him. And you can do that by following, not just listening. You can do that by fully giving over yourself to him. And you can do it by using whatever it is in your life. Just think about it right now. What is in your life that you can use for him? Or, go ahead and go one more. Or you can be like my little dog, who, as you can see, currently is going out there for the first time, and he's like, all right, here's the space, the new way that was carved out for me. What should I do with this? Can you hit play for that? Kind of over the top. There you go. Well, let's see what he does. Wanders around for a little while. Hmm. This is a better way. Yeah, I should do this. Nah. (laughs) So, what do you want? (laughs) You've got a choice. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your Son who brings the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray today that as we consider our lives, that we would, as he proclaimed, repent and believe the good news. They would follow. We would use our talents. That We would trust you and turn from those other things that we're trying to put our trust in that we might know your power and your presence and your plan and your peace in our life. We give all of this to you in Jesus' holy name. Amen.